family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunthe, your host, and this morning we look forward to two hours of conversational improvisation, plus some special guests. We will be talking wine with our favorite wine expert, Tim Sweeney. You've heard him before, but you haven't heard him with his hat as a real estate broker. Uh, Tim is also the president-elect of the Hudson Valley Catskill Region Multiple Listing Service, a very important real estate force. And he'll be joined by Anna Barcone, who is also a real estate broker with Berkshire Hathaway Nutshell Realty. And we're going to talk real estate. What's going on in the market? What does it mean for sellers? What does it mean for buyers? What does it mean for the value of your property? I think you'll find that interesting. Co-hosting with us today, not one but two, our Woodstock Roundtable Poet Laureate, Victoria Sullivan, is here. She is also our favorite Saugatarian socialite. Ron Van Wormer will co-host and engineer. He is a prominent personality here on the weekends at Radio Woodstock. Among the topics we'll be discussing, what is the Finks doing in the 21st century? Did I say Finks or Sphinx? Sphinx. I said Sphinx? Yeah. Well, the Sphinx asked riddles, and we'll ask a few ourselves. What is a portmanteau? It is one of the most interesting grammatical constructions. We use them all the time without realizing it. Today, we'll bring them into prominence. And uh, we'll also talk about, well, one of the most interesting young musicians out there. We'll have music from the Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini, an intergalactic wrap-up with street philosopher and friend of the big electron, Patrick Carlin. A lot going on. Fasten your seatbelts. Join us for the Woodstock Roundtable. Ron is is chortling, which, by the way, is a portmanteau. Hmm, and I know yes. why, I know why you're chortling. Yeah, because last week for the first time. <laughs> yeah. As long as that musical introduction is that I've been using for years, right? How long is it, Ron? Is it's two and a half minutes or wow. so. Wow! I I was still talk. I was still introducing <laughs> what was going to happen on the show, and the music ended. He used it up. It was My the first goodness. time I used up the entire introduction. That's actually a long time of airtime, two and a half minutes. You were close <laughs> to using it there today, And he too. was chortling because I almost went over <laughs> today. <laughs> I love that music, maybe because it puts me in the mood for the show. I do feel like I've gotten on some kind of weird rocket ship, and yeah. I'm flying into your, your portmanteau of a brain. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know how that originated? Uh, wow, about 25 years ago, I was in... I'd start up this project and was working at a studio, a uh, recording studio, and um, I was introduced to this Native American mm-hmm. uh, who was this really cool dude, and um, uh, he had this amazing laugh. And I said, would you do that? Would you record that laugh for me? I'd like that to start my show every, every week. And so um, that's, how, that's how it got started. And then, of course, 2001, Still my favorite movie, by far, of all time. And an iconic film for all of us. Well, yeah, because it was so cinematic. I mean, the 
it it was to me and to many others it wasn't the best story but it was the most it combined the mysteriousness of the story with this amazing imagery and and the and it's a movie where it's truly cinematic the the humans what's so interesting about that movie is the humans are almost an afterthought they're purposely dull mm. the two astronauts right and there's hardly any dialogue in the entire film correct and the most interesting character by far is a computer right <laughs> well i know that that would lead to where you stay today with yeah. <laughs> ai as as our loving future well and that was 1968 so it was very get ready you for were prophetic one of my favorite words it was very prescient yes yeah not a, it prescient. Prescient. <laughs> not a portmanteau. Is it prescient? That's how I pronounce it, but I mispronounce many words. Prescient. So don't Would go you ask Alexa how to uh, so pronounce? So you've got prescient, and I've got prescient, and he's got and something else. And I have Huh. <laughs> and I have a feeling our retired English professor, Victoria, is right. <laughs> well, I, my I may not be. <laughs> my money's on you on this one. P-R-E-S-C-I-E-N-T? Uh, -E -E something like that, yes. Something like that from an English <laughs> professor. Is that how you graded your your uh, your, your Spelling was not essays? my specialty. Spelling actually is sort of counterintuitive. Uh, well, maybe it's intuitive. It's not logical. A lot of people with very logical brains have a hard time spelling. Have you watched, I haven't seen it recently, but have you watched, on, it's on ESPN, the sports network, the, the National Spelling Bee with these, these young freaky kids. Oh, I know, these little kids. kids, and they have no idea what the word is, and yet they can spell Prescient. it. Prescient. Prescient, they say. Who was that? Was Prescient. That? Prescient. That was the computer telling us. <laughs> Prescient. <laughs> well, he dropped Prescient. a syllable on that last one. He doesn't yeah. know. So it's Prescient. 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 Yeah. That's what I said. I liked isn't it? mine better. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, mine might be the second or third. That's the great thing about like an unabridged dictionary. Whatever your pronunciation is, it's it's in there. You know, like the the preferred is this one. You know, and then sometimes this one, and then they'll throw in a third one just to like mess with you. This brings up <laughs> uh, a, a point I haven't brought up in a, in a while, and we like to recycle our points. You know, uh, which is <clears throat> another one of my favorite words. We Americans, because we're the, we've been the number one empire since us baby boomers were born, right? The United States became the empire of the world after World War II mm -hmm. in 1945, 1946. The baby boomer generation started around 1946 to like 1962. So uh, let's see, Ronnie, you're on the cusp, right? Yeah, 56. Oh, no, you're there. I'm there. You're there. Though I've always felt a little bit <clears throat> like I was on the uh, cusp. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't feel like a full-blown baby boomer. The slow end. <laughs> yeah, I it just, you know, because... You're right in the middle. Yeah. Uh, but we baby boomers grew up in a country that was the number one empire. And so we become, another one of my favorite words, jingoistic. Mm. Which is yeah. we, get, we get totally uh, obsessed with our own country. That's what jingoism means. We do it, but I always notice we did it in terms of our language because the English language is clearly the dominant language of the world. Right. And we, I know I was one of the people who complained when I had to take French in high school. <laughs> what a peculiar language this is. And, of course, French and Italian and Spanish are totally normal languages compared to English. You we can take call a, a language normal versus non-normal. Well, I'll give you an example. We we are <laughs> to our credit, our language, and this gets to immigration, which is this, the big emotional issue of our age. 
our language is a uh, integration of so many different languages. Right, but that doesn't make it abnormal. That makes it a but very lively, much, growing language. I agree, but it is by far a more complex. It's complex language than the uh, than the Latin languages, the other Latinate languages, which don't integrate as many different languages into correct. It. And much that's more and native. that's our history. Well. You know, you have to study, go back to the Indo-European, Doug, <laughs> you know, where they they spread out from somewhere. I mean, the Latin languages, there are, yeah, a group of them, and because they have a similar base in Latin and before that in Greek, uh, they have uh, an internal consistency. We had an Anglo-Saxon base. We had a Germanic base originally in 300, 400 AD, and then later we started as peoples moved into the British Isles, they, they brought their languages. And by the Norman Conquest, you got a huge infusion of French and therefore Latin-based words. So we have an interesting vocabulary that's mixed, and we have a lot of double words, like the single uh, syllable word is often the German root word. So you have like bull or, you know, as opposed to, uh, well... It, Multi-syllabic words are often Latin-based, so a word like consideration or philosophy or any word that has several uh, syllables, but like, well, like the swear words, the, the F word that we can't use, that's an <laughs> Anglo-Saxon-based word. Uh, it's a perfectly good word, it goes back a long time. Or a word like good from gut, you know, German, as opposed to um, delicious, you know, so... Uh, we have this complicated language because, and then we took in words from all over the world, so we have some. That's, but that my point is, because we're a nation of immigrants, which you wouldn't but know. But we didn't do that. The British did that. The British made the, the languages complicated because of their empire, etc. We just mostly adopted the, the English language, which is this conglomerate. I mean, we have Indian words. We have, like, ketchup. Ketchup is, is Indian. Not but that's also under- probably came via the British and via their empire. Right. The, the, I mean, we have sucked up a lot of words in the last hundred years. And then we make American up words, English. too. Yeah, words like gotten. Nobody In England, they don't use the word gotten. It's just not a word. <laughs> <laughs> because got actually covers it. Yeah. It's just that gotten sounds, mm. sort of goes, flows better. So Ours is, is it, changed it. The thing about the English language that I find exciting, although we have all these things, uh, you know, like, well, bunch of words sound the same but they're different is that we have such a huge <laughs> vocabulary we have a way bigger vocabulary than the romance languages have right and it's a more complicated i'm i'm suggesting is that if you took and we know when kids are very young they learn languages much more easily yes. than adults do yes so by the time i was we were forced to take a language in school like french to me it was be, and it was taught in such a oh, you know, it was hard way. It was yes. all about memorization and tests. So unfortunately, I never, I didn't enjoy learning French. It should be a joyful experience. French is a beautiful language. Italian, my sister is fluent in Italian. It's a beautiful mm. language. Um, uh, Spanish is a very emotional language. English is this just <laughs> potpourri of the most in- it's from everywhere. It's it's like it's like a <laughs> stew with too many ingredients, well, and it's fascinating. But we think it's so difficult to learn other languages. Yet most people in other countries are required to learn English because it's the dominant language, and we don't realize just how complicated it is. I've told this story before, but I like to recycle my stories. I took 
one of my favorite courses in college. A friend of mine encouraged me to take it. It was a course in Chinese art and philosophy. And the teacher, this is 1971, was from, we called it then, Red China. Mm-hmm. It wasn't China. It was Red China yeah. because of Mao, and we were taught to hate everything communist, communist right? So it was Red China. And it was a very authoritarian regime. Yeah. Okay. He had escaped. <clears throat> you couldn't just leave right. Red China. He and his family escaped. They ended up in London, <clears throat> then to the United States. So he had to learn English on the fly. <clears throat> he was a native Chinese. <clears throat> and he had a very thick Chinese accent. He was a brilliant uh, painter and a brilliant philosopher. And it was a fascinating course. That's where I fell in love with, with Taoism, with the Tao, the Tao Ching. And he, you know, very, very Chinese accent. And uh, uh, he talked about how we think Chinese is such a difficult language. Mm-hmm. Go, no, no, English, English, most difficult. So he learned it by reading newspapers. Okay. Now, back in the 70s, in, in, in New York City, there were morning newspapers and <laughs> afternoon newspapers. It wasn't just the New York Times, the Daily News, and the New York Post. Right. You had the New York Herald Tribune. You had the Star Telegraph and the Sun. I'm remembering these. And some of them came out in the morning and some in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So he's buying newspapers to learn English. And the way he made the most brilliant point about how complex and counterintuitive and illogical <laughs> English is compared to Chinese, which is based on idiot. It's it, Chinese is ideographic, meaning the <clears throat> letters are imitative of symbols, right. visual symbols, <clears throat> That's which writing. makes more sense. He said he gave us an example. So he he gets up in the morning and he buys a newspaper and there's a big photo of a house on fire, and the big uh. headline in huge type is "House Burns Up." <laughs> so he makes the connection. He's like a young teenager. He makes the connection between a house on fire and house burning up. So now he knows what that means, right? Now he gets an afternoon paper. Same photograph, same house on fire. And the big headline was, house burns down. <laughs> <laughs> now we take that, what I just said, we take for granted. Right. You can't take it for granted if you're learning the language. How can... House burning up and house burning down mean the exact same thing. Yeah. (laughs) But we take it for granted. I like that we have nuances and complexities. But, you know, the thing about teaching languages in the U.S. that was so wrong for so long, and I think they're correcting it, is that we were taught it in junior high and high school, and it's already almost too late. You know, your brain gets wired for language. And the reason people in Europe can be multilingual is that they're speaking three or four languages at the age of four, five, Mm -hmm. six. And now they are teaching kids in grade school, and a lot of American kids are learning Chinese. Mm, And that strikes us, because we're from a generation where it seems like so bizarre and difficult, Chinese. How could you learn Chinese? They're learning it. And that's when you should be teaching languages. You should teach them in first, second, third grade, kindergarten. Uh, then you really can lay three or four languages in I was there. reading an article recently saying that in uh, New York City, uh, Chinese au pairs are 
are in demand because they, everyone wants their children to learn Chinese. Mm. Because That's it's what going to become a very important language. A lot of them are taking Chinese now. They're not taking... Yeah. I mean, they taught French <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, and I think it's a beautiful language and I enjoy it. But they taught it way too long in this country, you know, in recent years. So kids in the U.S. taking French and, and taking it in grade school or junior high, you should either take Spanish because we live or, in the Western Chinese. Hemisphere, or Chinese, right? Yeah. I mean, take a useful language. Right. In this country, Spanish is a very useful yep. language. Oh, yeah, yeah, if I had my education to do over again, I would want to learn Spanish Me and Chinese. Too. I would, too. Yeah. And then there was a period about 20 years ago, prior to the fall of the um, Soviet Union, when a lot of students in high school and college were studying Russian. Mm-hmm. So... There's a certain, you know, where do we go with it? But we hung on to French because that was lingua franca. You know, that was the international language for quite a few years. And it's a beautiful language. Not the dominant Mm -hmm. language, but the international language. But the way we were taught language was so stupid. Well, we also had (laughs) teachers who often didn't know it very well. They'd maybe learned it late, too, and they'd gotten it in college. We often did not have native speakers Well, I'll give a specific example, okay, because... The right way to teach a language is the teacher should just not speak English, just speak French, and you'd learn it much faster. You'd, you'd figure out after what you'd be, your brain would be forced to figure things out rather than memorize a word and a, its definition, a word and its definition. Mm-hmm. Here's how you put together a sentence, very mechanically. Right. And I'll give an example. When we were, took a language, we could take either French or Spanish. I chose French. I don't remember the reason. I think, oh, I like French fries. That's right. Um, <laughs> so uh, I wasn't yet into, tequila, you know, into, uh, I was going to say tequila, but that's Mexican. Oh, that was good, <laughs> fine wine. So, um, uh, so I'm taking French. So they had what they called dialogues where you'd have to memorize certain words and regurgitate right. their meaning on a test. You'd think, you'd think that they would teach you phrases that w- you would use most commonly, <laughs> Right. You'd think that, I, you, yes. Do you know what I remember from French? La plume de ma tante est sur le bureau de mon oncle. One more time. <laughs> hey. La plume de ma tante est sur le, ta, le, bleu, le bleu bureau de mon oncle. Sorry. The uh, the pen of my aunt is on the on the uh, desk of my uncle. You know, that's I, very handy. That, that's extremely handy. But that useful. is more useful. <laughs> that's more likely to happen than... One of the few phrases I remember yeah. have, have, uh, on a test that I got right. Parska le pick-up ne marche pas. Because the something... It yeah, they use pick-up for a phonograph. Because it... <laughs> right? So that was the... Fr- so because my record player doesn't work. Ah. <laughs> okay. That's very useful. And allons à la bibliothèque. Let's go to the library. Oui. Allons à la bibliothèque. That's it. <laughs> That's all I remember. Yeah, I know it's hard. I took uh, French in uh, in seventh grade, and I said to my teacher, "I don't know why I'm learning this. I'm never going to France." And the next year, I was living in France. (laughs) Be careful what you say. (laughs) I know. The the trouble is you don't get to use it because I remembered it for a long time, and it was useful when at certain points I had Haitian women cleaning my apartment. But you know, how often do you need to speak French? When I went to France for the first time, I was really glad I knew French because at that point, 
the Parisians were extremely snotty, not that they're not usually, <laughs> but, um, you know, you would rent a very cheap room in a place, and Americans would come in, American tourists, and they couldn't speak French, and the landlady would just about spit on them. You know, she's like, <laughs> I found the French, if you try to speak French, and, and I would say, uh, that means like my aunt's pen is on my uncle's desk. Right. And, yeah. and, and the fact that I could speak a little French, ah, madame, oh, oui. Okay, but let's, let's reverse that. <laughs> Someone comes to our country, even today, and they can't speak English. We would look at them like, get away from me. Can't you, can't you well, New Yorkers, particularly, New Yorkers are very similar to Parisians. <laughs> no. no tolerance whatsoever. Yeah. But the thing was that that, that snottiness immediately disappeared. If you, I knew a fair number of words, but if you knew 20 words in the language, I mean, Americans, when they travel, should carry little phrase books, and they should learn to say hello, goodbye, exactly. thank That's you. That's all the French really want is for you to try. Right. And as soon yeah. as you try, they say, speak English. It's much easier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they appreciate the effort, and that's exactly. true worldwide. If you say thank you to somebody, or yeah. if you can say where is the cathedral in their language, of course, then they start speaking to you in their language, and you're in trouble. But uh, it's a, just a little bit of, but Americans are like, well, they don't speak English. Well, they don't. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, hello. And you don't speak Spanish. <laughs> so uh, when we come back from our break, <laughs> didn't we? We just wasted 20 minutes yeah, of good radio. I, I know. Time. That's our job. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to talk about portmanteaus, which are very, one of my favorite grammatical constructions in English. And I was not big on grammar learning it because, again, it was memorization. It was dry. It was brittle. You know, I mean, conjugate, <laughs> conjugate a sentence. And that's how I learned French, too. Conjugate the verbs. Oh, please. That's all we what did. It wasn't the fun. Verbs. But portmanteaus will get us into one of the more interesting uh, grammatical constructions in English. It's one that we're all familiar with. We use them all the time, but we don't realize, the, you know, they're com- their interesting mm. background. They're called portmanteaus. And uh, we'll get into that when we come back. But I just wanted to ask you, when you went to Egypt, yeah, all right, did did every just the Egyptians speak English? To you? Did they know English? Or well, did shopkeepers knew it incredibly well, and that's what you mostly deal with when you travel around. Because they want to sell a lot of stuff. people who you, you'd have to go to a small sort of town that wasn't on the tourist route, and there you would find people did not speak English. Did you learn any Egyptian when you were over? There? I definitely did, and I, I wish I could remember it now. But I definitely learned thank you. I learned that in any language I go to. Good I idea. That. And I learned to say hello, good morning, good afternoon. I learned you usually a minimum of five or ten words and i actually went to egypt twice so maybe i had 20 words by the time but that was unfortunately it was more than 10 years ago and And now given our current political situation when americans go out we should learn how to speak in that language not my fault i didn't vote (laughs) but you know what's also interesting is there's cultural references and if they don't speak english that well and you don't speak arabic practically at all you name a baseball player or a pop star or something and they light up your own because they love american culture right. and that's worldwide true it you is know, true. jimmy remember- connors oh yes jimmy connors or 50 cent i'm down in the south of egypt <laughs> negotiating to buy a scarf and someone says something about 50 cent who i happen to know about as a rapper because a local guy knew him anyway and i say something back and the guy is in bliss that we can have a sort of quasi-conversation 
organization and down the Nile, you know, <laughs> in a booth selling scarves about an American rap singer. So that's the universal language for Americans. It's 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 blue jeans. Pop it, it it's pop culture, and it's also like you know like, oh George Bush, you know, you know. And then one guy said to me and Nietzsche, I know, no, no one, Americans don't like George Bush. You like us with Mubarak, he says. And I go, well, actually, and this was right around the time. I said, he did get elected again. <laughs> I mean, I'm not on his side, but, Worldwide, you Worldwide, know. <laughs> I read somewhere that um, Coca-Cola and uh, Muhammad Ali were the two most recognized names in the world. Now, that, now let's just stop right there. there. There's a really good essay there. Yeah. Because Muhammad Ali, one of the most fascinating talented geniuses of all time he was an athletic genius mm -hmm. he was a verbal genius here's a guy who was mm -hmm. barely educated growing up in the south a black man growing up in the south who could use language more cleverly and more effectively than practically any english professor and yeah. that's the oral tradition that he came from the oral tradition a lot of these people of color from the south in that period uh, were great preachers as mm -hmm. well. They were great rhetoricians. They were great speakers. So it's not always the written language that makes someone verbally gifted. It's having an ear. And as we've discussed here, because Radio Woodstock is, is a music station, except for mm -hmm. us, we're grandfathered in, uh, <laughs> is that the blues and gospel mm -hmm. is all from the oral tradition. Uh, it's not from the written tradition. And so there you go. And and so Ali was more almost a musician when he talked. Like a poet. Like yeah. A, but like a But he was like poet. a street jazz poet. Yep. And with, with that, with an African-American, Southern, you know, edge to it. And he was a world ambassador. On the other hand, Coca-Cola, as we're now learning, <laughs> is toxic. Yeah. It's responsible for destroying people's insides. And if you want, to th if you, if you want any proof of it, Experiment's been done many times. Take a rusted carburetor. <laughs> you can clean it with Put it in a right? vat of Coca-Cola <laughs> overnight, and it'll be perfectly clean. You know, two other... So think about what Coke's <laughs> eating away at when you drink it. Two other icons that I saw worldwide were those uh, big posters of Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. Those two figures were known worldwide. It didn't matter where in the world you were. If you were in a poster shop, they'd have all their own local ones, but then they'd have Marilyn Monroe and they'd have Elvis Presley. Well, it's interesting we bring this up synchronistically because uh, in the second half hour of our first hour, we're going to talk about this woman I was not familiar with uh, till reading about her this morning, Billie Eilish, who's an international sensation. She's now, I think, 17. Her career yeah. started when she was 13. And she and she's a modern phenomenon in that her popularity she's been, her music's been downloaded almost like she's been downloaded like that's almost erotic <laughs> but um, she, her music's been downloaded a billion times yeah already yeah and what's interesting about her is not only do I find is her music sort of complex and interesting her lyrics are incredibly dark yeah oh very and this gets to generation z and millennials and they're going to have a lot to say over the next 20 years starting now because in case you haven't taken note the millennials those born between 1985 and 19 
uh, say, 96. Uh, and Generation Z, 1996 to today, uh, are now the most, together, are the most dominant mm. cultural and political number force in this country. <clears throat> and most of them are of voting age. They think in many ways very differently than baby boomers and Gen Y. Uh, and they're going to have a lot to say. Yeah. And so that's one reason I find when an artist like a Billie Eilish becomes when a, when a Kardashian becomes famous, it's just because you know people need to, to escape. <laughs> right. But this this young woman um, is very honest, very dark, and very creative. Mm. And I think it has a lot to say about what's coming down the pike. We'll get into all this when we come back with more of the Woodstock Roundtable. I believe this is still the Woodstock Roundtable. Do I have that right? <laughs> I believe you do. Good. I'm Doug Grunther with not one but two co-hosts, uh, Victoria Sullivan, our Woodstock Roundtable Poet Laureate. So we'll get a poem a little bit later on. Ron Van Warmer, on-air personality here at Radio Woodstock. We um, also are going to be having uh, some interest, interesting second hour. We'll have music from the Sultan of Sonic Soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to get your poet your poem in in the first hour okay and then we're going to talk both real estate and wine Mm -mm. Uh, tim sweeney our favorite wine expert will be here from stone ridge wine and spirits but tim is also a uh, prominent real estate broker in our region and president-elect of the hudson valley catskill region mls anna barcone is uh, a broker and manager of berkshire hathaway nutshell realty in high falls we're going to talk real estate Uh, what happened in 2008 how much have we recovered? Uh, what's been happening the last few years and currently in our market? So whether you're looking to sell a home, buy a home, or just interested in the property value uh, that you have, we'll get into that all in the hour and get to talk about wine and real estate. Uh, right now, we're going to talk, we're talking about the English language and how immensely complex and intriguing it is. We take it for granted because we learn it when we're in It's infants. rich. It really is rich. It's also very confusing when you think about it um, because so many rules get broken. But life is confusing. Well, <laughs> speak for yourself. Mine is normal and totally predictable. But Like Latin. Yeah. But a portmanteau. Now, why did I think of a portmanteau? Because I'm, one of the big issues in the global pantheon today is Brexit. Yes. And Brexit is yeah. interesting for a lot of reasons. Now, you grew up in, in England, and uh-huh. it's tearing that nation apart. It is. It's, uh, it's, it's going to probably bring down a government. Well, the, um, which could be a good thing, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Brexit is interesting 
to me because it was the harbinger, another good English word. It was kind of a hint at what was coming. We didn't realize it with the Trump phenomenon. Because remember, not even Donald Trump thought he was going to win that election. Mm -hmm. You know, we probably should break down the word Brexit because I suspect that some Americans and even some American newscasters don't know that that means the British exit from the European Union. Right. Uh, because when they talk about it now, you know, Brexit this and Brexit that, but they have some other terms they throw in, like the, the soft solution or the this. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people know what all those things mean. Well, Brexit, th- th- this is um, in 2000, uh, it was 2016, so the summer of 2016. Ago. It was like two months before uh, or a month before Trump uh, yeah. declared his right. nomination for president. They had that big vote. There was a big vote. Now, it was a huge surprise, right, Ron? Nobody yeah. was expecting. The reason the prime minister uh, called for the vote is because he assumed, with everyone, you know, a lot of people were complaining, why are we part of the European Union? Because we're forced to take all these immigrants in. Right. It was a lot of anti-immigration, mm-hmm. and some of it was racist, and some of it was just a legitimate fear of, hey, I'm, I can't get a decent job and I'm being told it's because all these immigrants are taking my job. So right. there was a both legitimate and totally illegitimate fear against immigrants coming in. And as part of the um, the European market, the Brits couldn't just say, well, we're going to set our own immigration policy. Mm-hmm. They had to follow some of the dictates. They had open borders. They had open right. borders all over Europe. Okay. So people could suddenly move from Poland to England, which they hadn't been and able to And from England to Poland. And thousands <laughs> of English people lived in Europe. And, and in and case right. their, their future is up in the air. Right. But what the, the, the trend that nobody's going to stop is called globalization. And it's an unfortunately, it's a very dry word, globalization. Mm-hmm. Uh, verbs are better than nouns for really communicating what's an action. Globalization is uh, ultimately, I think, a very good thing, which is now the more the easier way that both people, products, and ideas can move about the world. Mm-hmm. Do you think globalization is a portmanteau? I think it comes from global civilization and yeah. has collapsed so, into globalization. So Brexit oh, really was was a kind of a the first shot of this anti-immigration fervor and then hatred that helped sweep Trump into the presidency. And so it's a subject that we have to deal with because, of course, the irony is we're we are literally more than any country in the world, a nation of immigrants. Yeah. And yet now we have tens of millions of Americans saying we don't want any more immigrants in this country. It's, It's the heartbeat of who we are. But That's happened in the past as well. When Irish immigrants right. came, we didn't want Whenever the Irish. When Italian immigrants came, we didn't want them. When Jews were trying to get out of Europe, we didn't want them. So that's, it's a cycle. It's the famous uh, not-in-my-backyard syndrome. Yeah. I'm here now, but not right. you. The dislike of the other. So Brexit was interesting on a political and cultural. And nobody thought – the prime minister was so confident that – yeah, people are yelling about anti-immigration, but let's put it up. So he said, let's put it up for a vote. You want to break away from the opinion? Great, let's have a vote, thinking it would be no problem. Right. And then <laughs> they voted to get away, yeah, to that, break away. That was shocking. And now they're realizing it's going to cost them billions of dollars. It's going to dramatically affect their economy and their culture. Oh, yeah. Uh, because the world's going the other way. And, and, and they're just in the wrong lane. 
Plus, because of all the financial uh, ramifications, they are a world financial center right now. London is it, along with a few cities, mm-hmm. and London might lose that status. And yeah. then if they don't have that status, well, they don't already have status, period. Uh, dozens of huge international corporations who were centered in London are moving to Amsterdam. Right. Yeah. So anyway, be careful That's what you ask for. shooting yourself in the foot. Well, yeah. Brexit. Okay, now, but we, being here, don't like talking about politics too much because you can hear about that everywhere else. Brexit is a portmanteau. Yes. It's, a, it's <laughs> two words, right? Yep. Uh, British, British and exit. And exit becomes Brexit. So I looked up portmanteau. Uh-huh. And like many interesting inventive grammatical constructions it comes from lewis carroll (laughs) alice in wonderland and through the looking glass right Uh, you're our english professor well well (laughs) he played with language certainly and and he had portmanteaus i don't know whether he actually made that word up Uh, that was unclear to me but the the quotes of the early portmanteaus are from the crazy language in humpty dumpty i think uses in through the looking glass and and ron has kindly brought me here um, the Jabberwocky song, which seems like nonsense if you don't understand portmanteaus because so many words in it are these blends. So it's, "'Twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the groves and the momraths outgave." And you're like, what is this? Well, <laughs> mimsy is, is a combination of, of uh, misery and flimsy or something you know so you get mimsy and and the slithy toves are um slippery and lithe you know so you get sli- <laughs> slither anyway <laughs> and lewis carroll you know writing in the middle of the uh 19th century very imaginative coming up with alice in wonderland and going down the rabbit hole into an alternate reality and you get the mad hatter and you get the the queen of hearts who cuts off everyone's heads and you but, get one of my favorite sixties. If I had to pick, of course you couldn't. But if I had to pick one song from the sixties that kind of captured the positive and negative of the whole drug culture, because there's a lot of positive mm. about it and a lot of negative about it, it would be White Rabbit. One of my favorite songs. Right. One of my favorites. We're going to have to play that. Yeah. And White Rabbit. Comes from Alice in Wonderland. Yes, the, 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 <clears throat> we have no idea, I think, how much comes from Alice in Wonderland. And, you know, he that that's his pen name, um, Lewis Carroll. He was actually, I, I think, an Oxford Don. He was either Oxford or Cambridge. Uh, and he had another name, something. Dodd, Dodd, Charles Dodgeworth, wasn't it? Or Dodson, Dodson or Dodson? something. But the the... He was also a photographer, and he liked to take pictures of little girls. Yes. And over the years, that's become somewhat questionable, mm-hmm. some of his postures of little girls uh, half-undressed lying about. And by little girls, I mean seven, eight, and nine-year-olds. And apparently Alice is based on a little girl in— Alice Liddell. Uh, yeah, a, a, a family of gentry that, that he would visit with, and he made up these stories for her, but— whether he was a pedophile, you know. We don't know. We don't have proof that he was, but he certainly liked photographing young girls. Uh, he, um, <laughs> it sounds suspicious In erotic to postures. Me. Yeah. <laughs> we all um, like taking pictures of little girls, but you know, it's what we do with them. Speak but, for yourself. But linguistically, uh, the, the, the language in, in that work is wonderful. And it's very what we would now call psychedelic. Yes. It's whimsy. 
Yes. Now, I want to give some examples of <laughs> port, which might be a portmanteau. <laughs> hey, Gus, how are you? I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Just listening to this. Did you bring a portmanteau with you? Absolutely. He is a portmanteau. <laughs> <laughs> so again, a portmanteau would be two words that are scrunched into one, and we say, and we use them all the time without realizing. Well, and them. we make them Brangelina. You know, when I, for, when I was Brad young, I think the Angelina. first one I remember uh, realizing was was a portmanteau was smug. Smog, very good. That. There I, you go. I, 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 Is that I smoke and fog? Yeah, I assume smoke is smog. I believe smog, yeah. smoke and fog. So we mm. now here are a couple that here are some that I just you know, picked out. Affluenza. <laughs> That's good, <laughs> right? You have affluence and influenza. The guilt or lack of motivation by people who've made large amounts of money. That's very funny. <laughs> affluenza. I like that. Okay. <laughs> How about if you combine biology, the word biology, with the word electronic? To uh, to describe Bionic. an artificial body parts that oh. have been enhanced by technology, bionic. There you go. All right. Um, well, someone who eats excessive amounts of chocolate. Chocolateaholic. Very good. <laughs> and we have shopaholic. I mean, we made a yeah. whole bunch of them thereafter. Now here's one of my favorites. This sounds Alex. like it should be right out of Alice in Wonderland at Lewis Carroll. I don't know that it was. Um, to laugh in a breathy, gleeful way. Hmm. Chortling? Yes. Oh. <laughs> it's a combination of chuckle and snort. Ah. Chortle. <laughs> to chortle. Chortle. Okay. A movie theater with several screens. I know this one because I looked at your list. Oh. Cineplex. Cineplex. Oh, right. We take it for granted, but that. it's a made-up word. But, but see, the interesting thing with that, well, most words are made up. I mean, language is a construct. But anyway, <laughs> um What's interesting with some of these is that we, we they get so popular, we have no sense of where they came from right. like that. It's just our word. Yeah. Um, All right. Whereas others, we still feel it. All right. Uh-huh. A vegetarian who occasionally eats meat. Oh. A traitor. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. And you did it in one word. <laughs> no, that's somebody who deals with stocks and bonds. Ah. Oh, very good. So, so what is a vegetarian who occasionally eats meat? A flexitarian. Oh, nice. Flexitarian. I like it. A flexitarian. A yes. flexitarian. All right. Now, here's one that our young, younger listeners, if they're listening, would know: the use of keyboard characters. Uh, that's not. That's uh, you know, on a keyboard like to it. represent a facial expression. Uh, We're showing our age. That's an emoticon. Emoticon. Right. Um, now, here's one that is, I'm going to have to ask you, our retired English professor. I, I've always been told, but maybe it's just from snotty grammarians, that it's not a real word. But it shows up here as a combination of irrespective and regardless. Irregardless. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's a made-up word. Well, but words are made up. This but, is the crazy thing. People start <laughs> thinking that language is some kind of, you know, like it's made in concrete. We make up words all the time, new words but, under the mm-hmm. language. But these and, words are being made up of two words that we already have instead yeah, of just a, out of right, thin that, air. Well, but probably none of them are made up out of thin air. I mean, that's the interesting mm-hmm. thing, you know. It's, all right, here's we, one. We, we make the words we need. Let's put it that way. Here's if one we we've all suffered from. We have to from. make a new word. Here's right. one we've all suffered from. Mm-hmm. Computer programs that are designed to damage or disable computer systems. Um, oh, malware. Yeah, oh, malware. Very good. Very good. And that, I, I hadn't seen that on the list, but it came to me because it's so evil. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's malicious. Mal- As opposed Mal- to delicious. <laughs> yes. How would, you know, what would happen different. if you combine delicious and malicious? That would be something real, that tastes are. good that's really bad Some for you. Some of us are deliciously uh-huh. malicious. Malicious. <laughs> We're not dealing with your personal life at this point. I was dealing with uh, a, a culinary thing. <laughs> the, the, the two are the same. All we have to do is hear one of your poems and we know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> now here... Here's a word we've all used for decades. Okay. And it's a portmanteau. Overnight accommodation designed for motorists. Motel. A motel. Right. Mm. Right? Yes. We never See, thought of motel as a, as a scrunching together of motorist happens. and hotel. So that's a perfect example of how language changes. That the thing that starts out as a portmanteau becomes simply a common word in the language. Mm-hmm. So language is always changing. You're saying it's embryonic. <laughs> I'm saying it, it go, goes by uh, Charles Darwin's, you know, like survival of the fittest kind of thing. Language is a, is a tool. An individual who is heavily involved with online activities. Uh, a webaholic. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a netizen. A netizen. Ah. <laughs> a netizen. A netizen. A citizen of the net. Now, here's one. So my favorite music. A type of popular music originating in the southeastern U.S. in the 1950s, combining elements of rock and roll and country music. Rockabilly? Rockabilly. Ah. Yeah. That's how rock and roll basically got its push, was, was from the, um, the Sun Records studio, right. Sam Phillips, who was prescient enough <laughs> to, um, to market and bring in and and financially back and record four very unknown singers at the time. Yeah. Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, and the one who's forgotten, but not by George Harrison and um, who loved him and imitated his guitar style a lot. <laughs> now I'm forgetting his name. <laughs> um, Blue Suede Shoes. Uh, uh, we all uh, forget him and he's great. Perkins is it? Carl Perkins. Carl Perkins. Carl Perkins. Right. Perkins. Carl Perkins. Slim, slim. That was difficult. <laughs> that was hard. But, but I got you it pulled out. it out. Yes. <laughs> How about rock and roll? Is that some kind of portmanteau? Mm, no, because it didn't. It doesn't scrunch the words. It would have to be rock roll. <laughs> no, but I mean, in a way, rock and roll are both sort of short senses of something. I mean, All right. A very long television program. Uh, miniseries something with a marathon <laughs> aspect to it combi- it. that would be a maxi series <laughs> it combines television and marathon that's what i figured telethon, telethon. a telethon yeah of word we take for granted but it, right. it's an interesting combination of two words all right mm-hmm. well here's uh, an, um, a preacher who regularly appears on television oh yeah what are they called a a televangelist. A Very good, a televangelist. <laughs> Same thing. Now, here's one who, to me, explains a lot of what's wrong with our culture. Okay. And people will come down on me for saying that, but I will <laughs> stick to my guns. This word is as good as any to explain why we are a very unhealthy country. An individual who works excessive hours. Workaholic. Combines work and alcoholic. A mm. workaholic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, the alcohol thing has really gone into a lot of uh, words. Well, you know. because we are obsessive and about addicted. so many things yes. and addictive. Right. Yeah. Um, so at any now, this one I never heard of. <laughs> Good. 
Um, have you ever had a, an eating utensil that is both a spoon and a, a spoon and a fork? Spork. Yes, I have. You've had a spork. <laughs> I have. I've used sporks at picnics. <laughs> because really? then you only need one utensil. <laughs> That's great. It's a spoon with little fork things on it. Really? It's called a spork. Yes. I'm sorry. Don't be no. I have don't it. be. Well, I'm so happy <laughs> that you, I can actually interview somebody who's experienced <laughs> a spork. A spork. You've experienced spork them. Oh, I have. Very easy to eat peas with. <laughs> <laughs> well, if nothing else, we provided something with some utilitarian yeah. value to it. Let's okay. shorten that. Utilitarian Utilitarian value. <laughs> I'm going to make them up. Are you drunk? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm drunk on language. <laughs> drunk on language. <laughs> it is. Once you know, when you get into the English language, you, you, fall, you go through the rabbit hole. Yeah. Very complex, interesting, exotic, and confusing language. Indeed. Just remember, there's no distinction... In our language, it, between the phrases a house burning up and a house burning down. <laughs> <laughs> in, case you, in case you think other languages are confusing or don't make sense. Yeah. Victoria, would you favor us with a poem? Wow. Okay. <laughs> Let me find it. And, and I think it's, uh, it's about the season because I have a hard time moving into the spring when it takes forever. And this poem is called... I'm tired of the slow arrival of spring. <laughs> I want to hide under the covers and suck my thumb. I want to wail like a baby and wait for some friendly fantasy figure to save me from my life. There's just too much of everything. Robocalls and emails, seeking money or food or goods or something good or bad, I don't care. This world of endless scamming and begging. Every hour of the day, these pleas flood my computer and saturate my phone. I want to be alone. Nothing is simple anymore. Even my remote refuses to take commands. I can't make the channels change. Can only watch endless reruns of Law and Order SUV on no SVU on one channel, the one channel that responds to the remote. And then, oh Lord, it gets stuck on the channel that airs the Kardashians 24-7. No joke, it's like being banished to hell. And as I devolve into hopeless despair, don't forget my guy recoils from public displays of affection. Meanwhile, all I want to do is drink martinis and grope him in public. I'm sorry, but slightly soused, I just can't resist. I must be a bad person or a weak person or a uncaring, foolish, technically challenged to such a degree that contemporary life, aided by the endless winter and politicians who are impotent and the climate change writ large, all of this, it's done me in. A sin, no doubt, and one for which I'll surely burn in hell. <laughs> Check, please. <laughs> Check, please. <laughs> that was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And a perfect introduction to uh, a young woman we're going to play who is an internet phenomenon. But before that, thank you for bringing up martinis and groping. <laughs> I've never heard those two in a poem before. Well, d d don't they make you feel that way? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not like you, you feel like it exactly. It just happens. Yeah. But that's why we love your poetry. Yeah. 
Mm. Now, see, when you get that dark, <laughs> yes. it actually makes me feel good on some weird level. <laughs> but, but the poem sounded so light, and yet the words I were know. so dark. I love it. It I sounded so it. light. Yeah. I mean, there was a lightness about it. <laughs> well, that's because the, it, she, well, she knows how to write poetry. But it's it, yeah. no, it was really very, very cool. Yeah. What was that line about martinis? And Give me that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of this makes me, meanwhile, I want to drink no- martinis and grope him in public, <laughs> yeah. which, of course, is not his favorite thing. Yeah. Martinis? Uh, the public. The, <laughs> it's the public part. The, the public affection, yes, PDA, yeah. public displays of affection. Yeah, take, it, take out right. the L in public, you know what you get. <laughs> So um, uh, I was just reading about this young woman. Uh, uh, Ron, what can you tell us about her? Um, she was a, a, a phenomenon of the Internet, actually. And her brother uh, also started uh, working uh, in music at the same time. And he produces all of her, her work. And he's, and he's young, also, but he, he's she, young she, too. Her first song came. She became popular at age 13. Yeah, she was singing in a chorus in, uh, in, uh, in L.A. when she was eight. But then, you know, and then a, all of a sudden, a, she became an internet phenomenon. Yeah. Now, normally when this happens, I think Kardashians, again, just people who are just vacuous but somehow catch on. This young woman obviously has talent. And what yeah. I find interesting, and I'll make this quick, is I've been wondering, when are we really going to see, hear, feel, and be confronted by the fact that since the 1980s and Reagan's supply-side economics, when... The wealthy in this country who own Congress have consciously manipulated the tax system and other aspects of capitalism so that we now have the 1% and the 99%. Mm-hmm. The huge gap in income inequality, which you watch. Gerald Salenti of the Trans Institute is saying, and he's been right most of the time, this will be the issue of the 2020 presidential campaign. Mm. It's not going to be Russian collusion. It's not going to be this... Um, it's going to be the 1% versus the 99% because the generation, as I mentioned before, uh, the millennials, 19, born 19, roughly 1984 to 1996, and the Generation Z, starting the both born in 1996 to today, uh, not only are they primarily, their lives been affected by the Internet, and globalization and understanding, having a much bigger picture of what's going around the world than we had growing up. But they understand that the reason they have a trillion dollars, a trillion and a half dollars worth of college debt is because they've been manipulated. Mm-hmm. They know that in 2008, the economic uh, cataclysm that happened was totally manipulated by the rich uh, that got them richer. And they've had it. And 50% of millennials don't even believe in capitalism anymore. And, and, and I've been wondering, when are we going to see evidence of this anger? And I feel that this young woman is representative of that. Mm. She's, she's not trying to be pretty. She's not trying to be glamorous. In fact, she has what's often described as a very dead-eyed expression if you YouTube her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and her, her language, her lyrics are every bit as dark as our favorite <laughs> poet, Victoria's. <laughs> I mean, listen to what we're going to hear. Don't you know I'm no good for you? I've learned to lose you. Can't afford to. Tore my shirt to stop you bleeding, but nothing ever stops you leaving. Quiet when I'm coming home and I'm on my own. I could lie. Say, I like it like that. Like it like that. I could lie. Don't you know too much already? I'll only hurt you if you let me. Call me friend, but keep me closer. 
and I'll call you when the party's over. Hmm. I mean, that's just, that's right there with Leonard Cohen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a 17-year-old. Yeah. Let's hear a little bit of uh, Billy Eilish. <laughs> Seventeen years old. You get used to it. This generation is thinking differently, and it's about time. Yeah. All right. We're going to take our second break, take care of some of our fine sponsors, and then get ready music from the Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini. We'll catch you up on the real estate market and the latest trends in wine. Hang out with us here at the Woodstock Roundtable. <laughs> 